to Into the West, a Middle-Earth SPG podcast where we discuss the competitive side of the game. My name is Charles, and with me are Richard, Ian, Alexander, and a special guest, Andrew. Hey, guys. Andrew is joining us from, was it New Jersey? New Jersey, yeah, representing uh, a state that doesn't get the love that it deserves. So we have, for podcast listeners... You might know another SPG podcast there and back again, a hobbyist tale podcast. Andrew is part of that podcast crew, and uh, he's joining us today to talk about Bard the Bowman. And then in our open topic, we'll be discussing our favorite and also the best historical alliances of the game. So let's jump in to a few questions for Andrew. So Andrew, when did you start playing this game and how long have you been playing Middle Earth SPG? Yeah, so... uh... Great question, and I just want to start off by thanking you guys for having me on the show. I'm a huge fan. Uh, I try to listen as soon as the podcasts come out. Uh, So just thank you for putting out content for guys like me in the community, and, uh, you know, we all really appreciate it. But um, so I I started painting um, Lord of the Rings miniatures probably when they first came out about, you know, early 2000s. I was pretty young, so I wasn't playing the game or anything at the time, but I did paint them. And I didn't actually start playing the game until uh, the new edition released, which I think at this point is probably like three years ago or so. So around that time, I picked up the Pelennor Fields kit. I got started there um, and then just started expanding and expanding. And I actually used to just have commission painters paint all my stuff because I was more into the gaming side. But my buddy Evan Asquay, uh, you guys should check him out on Instagram if you haven't already. Uh, kind of like Charles is just, you know, this master hobbyist and, uh, you know, you guys like you have inspired me to start painting myself. So I've been doing that for probably about, you know, maybe a little over a year now, having a lot of fun with it. And so I've only been playing for, you know, probably about two years. My first event, I think, was during COVID. Uh, so that'll give you a sense of how how short I've been playing this game so far. And you mentioned that you didn't really get into like the painting part of the hobby till recently. So I assume that it's the tournament play or at least the game itself that's interests you the most. Yeah, I'd say I'd say at this point I'm probably about 70% gaming, 30% hobby. And you know, I always try to describe myself as just like a strategist. I love I love games where there's a portion of it that's skill-based and there's a portion of it that's luck-based. Those have always been my favorite kind of games. I really loved poker growing up. And I find miniature war gaming to be kind of in that realm where, you know, yeah, Richard's probably a way better player than me, but there's going to be a time where he rolls all ones on his, you know, uh, spider queen charging my guys. And there's nothing you can do about that. You know what I mean? So I like that. And and I'm come from a very like analytical finance background. So I'm the guy who during the game is evaluating, okay, where am I in, you know, turn three, turn four? Am I ahead? Am I behind? And I'm constantly trying to adjust my play on the fly to kind of play to the odds. So if I'm ahead, I'm going to try to make less risky plays to maintain my advantage. And if I'm behind, you know, I might go for a heroic strike on a, on a big hero that I know is low probability for me to win. But if I don't do that, I'm not going to win at all. So those are my favorite decisions and my favorite part of the game. So I have been getting into the hobby side uh, a bit as well. My buddy Evan, like I said, and and my other friend John from the podcast, they've helped me out a lot with that side of it. But I think, you know, my main focus is always going to be on the gameplay. And when you really lock in with somebody you're playing against and and it's tight and they're really pushing you and making you think that that's like 
you know, the peak of this game for me. Hey, a fellow uh, finance guy. I You can't say I'm better, though. We haven't had the pleasure to play yet, so. That's <laughs> true. That's day. true. I just, uh, I, I told Charles I was going to pick on you today, so uh, get ready. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, all of us have traveled to Nova Open in Washington, D.C. in previous years to compete. And so we, we played at a couple of Eastern American events, but what's the local scene like around the New Jersey and New York area? Do you guys prefer what points level? Do you play good or evil? Do you play one day, two day events? Like, What's the scene like over there? Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, if you guys are a fan of the DC Hobbit League, a lot of those guys kind of highlight the big groups on the East Coast. So you've got kind of a Washington DC following, Philadelphia following, which, you know, I'll get into, but that's where we get kind of a lot of spillover because, you know, northern New Jersey is pretty close to Philly. And then there's really a Massachusetts group. Surprisingly, you know, there's guys that play in New York, but I, I haven't found like a consistent community in New York that that plays. So I think where we sit is, you know, geographically, we're kind of in between some of these large groups where it's, you know, a reasonable enough day trip for them to come out. And that's really been our focus is, you know, we don't want to compete with the guys doing Nova style events that are multiple days, people traveling from kind of across the country or even across the world like you guys. We focus on one day events and we focus on typically kind of lower points range than is typical for the U.S. So a standard event for us would be, you know, about 600 to 650 points. And we always do good versus evil. So we do a format kind of similar to you guys were talking about in your last episode. Like that's that's an event that we would host. 600 points, good and evil. You know, the three scenarios. That's kind of where we're adding diversity is pre-picked scenarios versus random scenarios. And we've added in a veto system uh, into some of our recent events. But our sweet spot is kind of that lower points range, you know, one day event that people can drive a few hours to play for the day, take a lunch break, hang out uh, and drive back home. And it's doable in a day. So that that's kind of our focus. And as I mentioned, you know, the good versus evil is is a big part of that. I'm sure we'll be talking a little bit about that later. We love it because I, I think all of us in New Jersey, I, I wouldn't say our top focus is competitive play. We definitely have some good players, but our number one priority is, you know, having fun and, and having boards that look thematic from the movies. So that's kind of where we've shifted our focus. But, you know, I've got to say, I, I think the, the play level of our group has really risen up. You know, Alisher, who, who won the most recent, I don't know if it was called Nova, but, you know, substitute for Nova event this year, he comes out pretty frequently you know, Rainier before he moved would come to our events. And, uh, you know, we've got some really top tier players that that show up and play. But I think we're more known for come and just kind of have a fun day. You're going to be talking about MESPG all day and, and making some buddies. Uh, so that's kind of our focal point, And we're striking a good balance between that and the competitive play, I'd say. Okay. And the last question I have for you, obviously, today, you're here to talk about Bard the Bowman with us. So you're probably a Lake Town fan. Uh, are there any other armies that you, you would say are your go-tos or um, just some of your favorites for both good and evil? Yeah, for sure. I'd, I'd say Army of Lake Town, Survivors of Lake Town on the good side. Those are definitely my go-to. It, it'll be, you know, every other event, I'll play that army. And then, you know, my other probably four or five forces that I have access to, I'll rotate them through just to kind of have fun. So I'm one of the tournament organizers, right? So what I try to do is bring lists where... I can play them super competitively if I have to, if I'm up against some of those top tier guys that I told you about. 
but we also have guys who are coming kind of for the first time and and I don't want to, you know, play a yellow alliance like ultra competitive completely maximized list against them. So for me it's a little bit different in that I I try to kind of find that balance and I feel like Lake Town can play that way, right? Because they're just they're just generic guys. You know, you have a lot of them, but for a new player, it's not something that feels like oppressive or unfun to play against. But for a skilled player, what I think gets often underestimated about them is like, to me, it's almost like a good goblin town, kind of, right? Like you have the Goblin King, who's very scary with Gollum, who's very scary. And then you've got a bunch of guys who are like, not that great. The the big difference between Lake Town and Goblin Town is you have boats, right? So you can take probably more models than most armies. And you'll have more shooting than they do, which I think is kind of a weakness of Goblin Town. And then you still have this kind of big, beefy hero. So I'd say that's kind of my focal point on good. And then I'll ally them with Iron Hills, Erebor Reclaimed, Thranduil's Halls, which we'll probably talk a little bit about later. And then on the evil side, I'm really like uh, Serpent Horde is kind of like my favorite army. And that's why I think you guys picked the perfect episode to bring me on, because uh, I don't think there's any Green Alliance that couldn't use Suladan the Serpent Lord in it. And I do that all the time. Like, like I don't, I don't play pure Corsairs. It's like one war band of Suladan maxed out, and then you know, am I going with Far Harad? Am I going with Corsairs? Am I going with Mordor? Those are my favorite lists to build. So I'd say Serpent Horde and Far Harad on the evil side are my two favorites. I just ran them at the recent event this past weekend, and then Lake Town definitely my favorite. Those also happen to be to your earlier question, Charles. The first two armies I painted. So the first good army I painted was Lake Town. First evil army I painted was Serpent Horde. So I feel like those are kind of a little bit closer to my heart. And both just happen to be pretty competitive as well. I like how you say that you use these armies to kind of take it easy on newer players, which I get. But I think we'll talk about this a bit more in the open topic. But I feel like these lists that you mentioned, so like the Hobbit good armies and Serpent Horde and Corsairs are probably stronger than most yellow alliances I can think of. <laughs> All right, thanks for your answers to those questions. Let's jump right into our main topic, Bard the Bone. So today we'll be talking about Bard the Bowman from the Army of Lake Town and the Survivors of Lake Town list. Let's go over his profile, and then we'll kind of break down his stat line, his profile, and then go over some lists that Andrew brought to share with us today. Get the bowmen to the eastern parapet. Hold them off for as long as you can. Archers, this way! Alexander, would you like to go through Bard's profile quickly? Sure. So Bard the Bowman has the Man Lake Town Infantry Hero keywords. He's a hero of legend, has a move of six, fight five, shoot three, strength four, defense four, three attacks, three wounds, courage six, three might, three will, three fate. He has heroic resolve, accuracy, strike, and strength. His war gear includes a sword and great bow, and has the options of a wind lance for 75 points, a horse for 10 points, and armor for five. Special rules include rapid fire, in which if he hits with his great bow, he may take another shot at a target within three inches of it. If that shot is also hit, he may shoot again to a maximum of three shots in total. So has the black arrow. Once per game, Bard the Bowman can fire his black arrow instead of shooting the wind lance normally. 
If you choose to do so, declare that he is firing his black arrow before rolling to hit. When shooting the black arrow, Bard the Bowman re-rolls a failed to hit roll and any failed in the way tests. Furthermore, do not roll on the scatter table when firing the black arrow. A successful to hit roll against a battlefield target automatically counts as a dead on result. Yeah, don't worry about that special rule. <laughs> he has he has one more special rule. If, if Richard would let me finish, it's uh, savior of Lake Town. Bar the Bowman standfast rule has a range of six inches. Furthermore, Bane, son of Bard, Percy, Hilda Bianca, Lake Town militia captains. And Lake Town Militia within six inches of Bard the Bowman receive a plus one bonus to their fight value and count as being in range of a banner. Wow. Okay. What a great do, profile. Do we want the profile for the Windlance, or can I just leave that? Richard sounded pretty excited about the Windlance. I don't know. No, we're like the opposite on the Windlance here. <laughs> it was a very sarcastic uh, Windlance thing. Do we want it or not? Because I can read it, but then we'll probably say nah and then not talk about it. I think they could just go to our uh, Dale episode to hear our thoughts about that one. <laughs> yeah, let's go redirect to, to the Dale episode for thoughts on the Windlands. So, Andrew, you mentioned that you play a lot of Army of Lake Town and Survivors Lake Town. Is Bard always like an auto-include in both armies, or what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so if you want to get into, there's two upgrades that aren't technically on the profile that we should probably talk about which are uh, his two daughters and, and Alfred. So we can get into that in a minute. But to answer Charles' question, in Survivors of Lake Town, unless you're just looking to kind of bulk out a Thranduil's Halls or an Iron Hills with like a captain to get the march and, and just 12 guys, I'd say Bard is, is definitely an auto-include in Survivors of Lake Town. The army bonus, basically, if you keep them green allies, increases that Savior of Lake Town rule that Alexander just read out from six inches to 12 inches. And then the standfast also affects heroes. So one of the weaknesses of Lake Town in general is courage is pretty weak. So Bard is kind of your best access to both a high courage and you have the hero of legend in the survivors list. So I'd say he's definitely an auto-include here. Again, like I said, unless you just need heroic march and you're taking a captain because it's cheaper into Thranduil's Halls or Iron Hills. And then he actually drops to a hero of valor in the army of Lake Town list. And I think, you know, you guys have kind of talked about it. Other podcasts have talked about it. But Army of Lake Town, there's really kind of those core three heroes that you want to take that I think cost, you know, anywhere between like 300, 350 points when their warbands are maxed out. So those are kind of the auto includes, I would say, in that list. You don't have to take Bard the Bowman. I've seen people go kind of captain heavy and just go crazy on the numbers. But I usually take them in that list as well. And maybe we can get into that. I don't know if you want me to get into it now or a little bit later, but I would say 100% of the time for survivors and then for Army of Lake Town, if you're playing higher points, which I think survivors is better at higher points, like Army of Lake Town, I'd probably rather take between kind of five, 600. And on the top end of that, I think I would include Bard. I think there was a recent FAQ that changed the rule for Alfred where he can only be in the army if the master or Bard are in the army. So I think there's slightly more reason to take Bard. You can't just ally Alfred with a captain into a list anymore. So if you want Alfred for that extra might, if, you, if you're not running Army of Lake Town, then you will have Bard. So I've always thought that it was interesting what you said about taking Bard in the Army of Lake Town, because to me, I feel like he's incredible value for 140 points base because of the army bonus. 
So the fact that he doesn't get the army bonus in the army of Lake Town, to me, I don't know if it's worth it on paper. Now, bear in mind, I've never played Bard in that list. I usually would prefer to ally in green ally in some hard hitters from Thorns Company and get my combat ability and get my heroic strikes that way. Bard the Bowman is much more expensive than even the most expensive member of Thorns Company, which you could get probably for 20, 25 points less. So I'm just wondering what your thought process is on taking Bard in that list. Or do you think that he is reasonably costed in that list as well and just under-costed in survivors, perhaps? Yeah, I think it's a great point. I think, um, you know, I've played some Army of Lake Town, which is allying in Thorin. I've allied in, like, Gandalf and Bilbo before, just to get a little bit of kind of some tricks to the list, because the list is very basic, right? Like, if your opponent knows what it does, it's, it's not the hardest to counter, Army of Lake Town, that is. And I feel like you can't really go wrong with those guys. I think your point is totally valid, and I think he's probably reasonably well-costed. What I do like about taking him in Army of Lake Town is, you know, what would be considered kind of a nombo with Braga, where they won't follow Bard's heroic actions, sometimes can allow you to set up some interesting turns where you can kind of engage the enemy with Bard first or engage with, uh, you know, someone else first and then have kind of some leftover guys. Like, I think it's Snaga. Uh, has that rule on the evil side. So I actually like that kind of play together. And then if I'm taking Bard with Army of Lake Town, I always try to take Sigrid and Tilda because I feel like it gives you, yes, you could still get punch from Thorn's company, but I'm just such a fan of of free heroic combats. And I, I feel like if you're playing Army of Lake Town, you should have more numbers than your opponent. So you should be whittling them down with shooting by the time they get to you. Uh, and Bard, you know, we'll talk about this, but I think his most underrated aspect is that strength for bow that you can shoot up to three times. That's one thing that I think if you've never played Bard on the table or played against him, you read it and you're like, okay, that sounds pretty good. But when you talk about, you know, a three might hero that could potentially go up to a six might hero with Alfred, which, you know, we'll get into that because in Army of Lake Town, you'd probably give it to the master. But even with just three might, a strength for bow, right? Like, you could do a ton of damage, right? Like if you're playing, I usually do good versus evil, right? So if you're playing against a ring wraith, right? Strength four bow on a on a ring wraith, if you can hit the rider, I mean, even with just three might, you, you have a good chance of putting a wound on them, uh, maybe multiple, depending on how your shooting goes. So Army of Lake Town at kind of the 600 point level, which is where we play, it doesn't have enough punch. It's like a great combat line. If you run out of might on the Master of Lake Town, the army falls apart. And I feel like with Bard there and the free heroic combats, you have a fight six hero, right? Which is something that you don't have in the list. You get at least one heroic striker, not the best, but I think he fills a lot of holes and he's a lot more versatile, I think, than people give him credit for. So I totally agree. I'd say auto include in survivors. I would say he's undercosted in survivors. And I'd say he's probably fairly costed or maybe you know, slightly overcosted an army of Lake Town. But the heroes you mentioned in Thorn's company, while they do give you that punching power, they don't give you the versatility that Bard does, I don't think. So so that that's kind of my rationale there. Yeah, I, I don't have as much experience in Army of Lake Town, but I guess for survivors of Lake Town, I think he is pretty close to an auto take because before I would argue that if you're going for like a mostly Mirkwood or Iron Hills list and you're doing a green alliance, you could ally in like Alfred with uh, Lake Town Captain. I've seen that done a lot. 
And that brings a lot of utility, right? Throwing four or five might on a captain. But now that Alfred needs to go with Bard, essentially, I think most of the time you want to at least take Bard. And that also leads to some discussions with Bard. Once you have him and you're allying in a green alliance, is it worth taking a banner in like Mirkwood or Iron Hills? Or do you just go with the, you know, the cost efficient way and rely on your rerolls army bonus? But with that, you're losing out on potential VPs, right? So what do you guys think? That's kind of like a big debate that I have when I'm list building. So you'll see in, you know, one of the lists that we get into later, I have a green alliance at 650 where I don't have a banner, even though I have the option of taking one. And this list to me is different than even like a fiefdoms or some of the other lists where you have a large banner effect because the troops are so weak, right? Like they're great value for six points. But, you know, a banner is is four more guys, right? There's not a lot of lists where that would be the case. So I would say the points level where I would consider adding a banner in from like an Iron Hills or a Mirkwood would probably be around 700. I think at 700 or above, I would look to add a banner from one of my allied contingents. But below that, what I find happens is if you take the banner, you're not going to wind up being a horde, horde army if you ally in with survivors of lake town unless it's really high points so you wind up having kind of average model count with the banner and like below average troop quality so i don't really like that so i would actually rather you know you're going to get a banner on the whole battlefield if you're survivors of lake town because it's 12 inches all around right and then if you're fighting with elves or you're fighting with dwarves uh and spear supporting right that should be three dice to win the fight with either fight five or fight four which to me is good enough because you're going to have, you know, a big hero who's chopping through their basic troops pretty easily. And you're going to whittle them down with shooting as they come to you. And that's another big part of it is I think this list only kind of really functions because of the bam shooting that you can get for six points hitting on a four. You know, we'll get into another hero, Percy, that I'm a big fan of that helps your shooting. So it's a really tough question, and it's a really great question because you don't want to sacrifice those VPs if you're playing competitively. But I would actually argue that you're putting yourself at more of a disadvantage by going down, you know, four models or, or however many it is at the kind of points level that I'm used to playing at. So what, what do you guys think about that? I think that's really interesting because um, some players kind of swear by always having a banner when possible just for those scenarios. I think Alexander might be one of those people and Ian as well where like they'll take a banner just in case those scenarios come up. And definitely if it's a pre-select scenario and there is a scenario with banner VP, I wouldn't have thought of it that way if I was writing a list like that. I would think of it more as losing two Iron Hills rather than four Lake Town if I was doing that sort of alliance. But the way you look at it, you do have a good point. It is like it does decrease your break point by two. I don't know. I think it's still worth putting in the banner because... The reroll from Bard is only on the the militia, right? So there and are situations. Oh yes, and some of the heroes. So there are situations where your models are within the range of the special rule, but you don't get the reroll. It really depends what the ratio is, how many non Lake Town models you have, I guess. So it would be list dependent. I think if if the army was only like half half survivors in in terms of numbers, I'd probably still take a banner. Maybe less likely to take a banner if it was mostly survivors. It really depends on the list, I think. And, and like you said, it depends on the points level. Yeah, I think I agree with you, Andrew. Like going by the points value or points level is really important because another thing is that at lower points, you have less numbers 
you're usually spread out less. So your army bonus will cover the majority of your army anyway. You're not really losing out. But yeah, at the higher point, seven, eight hundred, you could have another like fighting formation that is outside the bubble. And you can kind of utilize the banner better in that way as well. Separate your armies and still get rerolls all throughout. Even though I have gotten greedy before and at an 800 point tournament, you know, taken Bard and Thranduil, no banner, <laughs> and just relied on the army bonus. And it worked out too, just to get the model count higher. So, yeah, it's a tough question. And I guess going to the war gear you mentioned earlier, his daughters, well, let's just say Alfred is an auto take. Would you also say Sigrid and Tilda are auto takes? at all points values because i think i've had a lot of discussions with players in our local scene about it some never take them some say it's dependent on you know points levels or their own lists and some swear by them so what do you think andrew so sigrid and tilda just as a quick like overview they're 30 points for both so you get two models for 30 points their stats are terrible defense two fight two and fight one no might, one will, two fate, and one moon deep. So stats are very bad. They're unarmed, just to make it even better. But basically, the reason you take them is if Bard or Bane, which I, I don't take Bane, so we'll just focus on Bard here. If Bard's within six inches of one of them, his fight goes up plus one, so that'd be from five to six. And then if Bard is within six inches of both of them, he can call a free heroic combat every turn. So I'm definitely in the camp of I always take these two. The way I look at it is basically you have lots of models in this army, right? So 30 points for two models, you know, 15 points each is not ideal, but you'd only be getting probably four to five models if you just took regular kind of Lake Town militia. And the way I look at it, you know, the free heroic combat is great, and, and I'll talk about kind of some examples where that's come in huge for me. But I actually think the boost to fight six is more important. So that's kind of what I found to be crucial, right? Like we play a lot of good versus evil. So I'm seeing the Witch King a lot. I'm seeing Ring Wraiths a lot. I'm seeing Suladan a lot. There's a ton of fight five heroes out there on the evil side that, that make the jump to fight six totally worth it. And like I said, you know, you're not really forfeiting too many models. Now, where you can find yourself in trouble is the last special rule, which is something to fight for. Where basically, you know, kind of like Eladon and Elro here, if uh, Secret or Tilda, either one of them are slain, Bard basically has to charge and try and kill the model that killed them. I've only had them die in one game that I've played. And at that point, you know, the, the game was unfortunately kind of a lost cause for me at that point. So it's never come up for me where... My opponent's gotten a lucky shot, you know, or something like that and, and killed them. They do have two fate, so even though their stats are not great. These models, I think you really have to practice playing this army with them to get the most out of them. Because you need to be within six of Bard, so you can't be too far away. But you've got to make sure that there's basically no chance that they'll die. Or Not only will you have to charge everyone, but you'll be lower fight value, no heroic combats. Like, it really can start to spiral. But I put like four, five in the ways of the girls at all times. And my opponent, honestly, is just like, I'm not even going to bother trying to shoot them. I'll just, you know, shoot the regular troops. And, you know, it, it's it's really paid a lot of dividends for me. And I would say, if you guys think about it this way, like I, I was playing against Tim Hines from the DC Hobbit League at an event that we hosted, you know, Bard is not, and I'm not saying they're the same, but he's not terribly dissimilar to Baromir of the White Tower, right? Like he's a 
similar points value. Fight six, I know Boromir goes to fight seven, buffs the fight value of people around him, gives them, you know, a re-roll. In a lot of ways, Boromir is better. In some ways, I would argue Bard is better. But the thing that I like about Bard is the bonuses, rather than the banner of Minas Tirith, you know, just kind of costing 40 points. Sure, it gives you the banner for VPs. Bard's add-ons that make him better add to your model count, add to your breakpoint. It's the only guy that I can think of in, in the game that does that, right? Where, where effectively add-ons to make him better are actually adding to your model count. So that that's like another aspect that I think gets kind of overlooked a little bit with him. But I personally always take Sigrid and Tilda. One thing I'd say to watch out for if you're looking to play this army is if you're there within six, you call heroic combat and Bard marches 10 inches away to fight somebody else. It's only going to be fight five. So that's something that's come up for, you know, opponents of mine before. And I'm like, no, he's not five, six. He's five, five because <laughs> he ran too far away. So that's something people don't think about a lot. But there for me, auto includes, obviously, like you said, Richard, uh, Alfred's an auto include. So, yeah, that that's my take. I really like them as well. I think I agree with most of your points there. I'm surprised you don't take Bane, though. Maybe I'm just a sucker for value. And if I'm going to get Hero Combat for a Bard, I might as well get it for Bane. I guess the way I break it down is, you know, if you value fight value, for some heroes, it's worth about uh, one fight value is worth about five to ten points, depending on the hero. And a lot of the times I'm getting three to four free hero combats a turn. So might being valued, which you can argue is underpointed at about five points a piece as well you're at least breaking even, if not more, if the game goes longer. So, And then you add in Bane, and a lot of times I like pairing up Bane with a couple elves if I'm allying with Mirkwood. And basically, I don't get too greedy with his heroic combats, but I can you know, take down a couple of models a turn as well there. I think one weakness about the children is that there's a lot of scenarios now where there's a lot of VPs given away for non-leader models. And I agree with you, Andrew. If you play it well enough, they should be safe most of the time. But sometimes a straight arrow or a hurl or even a caster, you know, if they decide to throw like a black dart in the last second of the game, those are things that are incredibly hard to block, even with good positioning. And, you know, unfortunately, you might just catch a couple wounds there and lose VPs. But I'm in the camp as well that they're great value engines, and I really like them if I can afford it. Yeah, you bring up a really good point. That That's actually a problem for kind of both lists that Bard's in, because you have a lot of these support heroes that are unarmed, basically no defensive stats like an Alfred, right? Uh, he can lead troops in Army of Lake Town, but I mean, if, if anything looks at him the wrong way, he's going down. So yeah, that's definitely a, a risk of playing these styles of armies is you're going to have these weak supporting heroes for like the, I think it's Fog of War, Assassination, those types of missions where they'll have an easy target. But you also know that going into the game, right? So if you need to sacrifice, you know, a turn or two of heroic combats to just protect them, put them behind a barrier or something like that, that's kind of how I would play it. I uh, just find that whenever I see Bard's children in a list especially in pure Lake Town. It's something where with how much you can outnumber your opponent in a lot of situations, they're worth it because you can always have in the ways to protect them. And when you do, just being an army that already overwhelms your opponent in a numbers game, being able to give one or two or even three of your heroes free heroic combats to further apply pressure to your opponent, 
is just a great tool. And I think as long as you insulate them, I assume they're pretty close to an auto-take in that list. Yeah, I mean, you also have blinding light in the list, right? So there's another layer of protection, but some things, you know, is still, it's just stuff you can't prevent. Like Richard said, like a spell or maybe like a catapult shot or something. Do we want to go to final verdicts? Maybe give two scores out of 10 of one for Survivor's Bard and one for Army of Lake Town Bard in terms of how close to auto-take you think he is in the lists. Andrew, you want to go first? Yeah, sure. So I'll start with the less glamorous uh, Army of Lake Town. I would say in that list, the Master and Alfred are both 10s and Braga are 10s, which I think they are. I put Bard probably at about you know, maybe a six and a half or seven. I don't think he's necessarily the only choice. I do think he's a good choice for the reasons I mentioned earlier. But you have a lot of green ally access from Thorne's company. This is a list that people will yellow ally with Galadriel, Lady of Light. You know, like Galadriel is probably better than Bard in that list, right? But I, I'm somebody who really values that 12-inch banner from the Master, so I'd try to keep it green if I could. But I would say, you know, six and a half probably on that. And then I'd say for Survivors of Lake Town, I mean, you know, like I said, unless you're trying to ally in just some supporting troops, I'd have him at, you know, nine and a half, ten. I mean, I'm always taking him in Survivors of Lake Town. I think the fact that he's a combat hero, a shooting hero, and a support hero, really, and that he gives, you know, the fight value buff to, again, not only the troops, but also like Percy becomes fight for and gets a reroll. Uh, if you bring any captains, they become fight for and get a reroll. Nothing to like write home about, but just having it 12 inches in every direction, like an Imrahil, is so much better than just like one three-inch banner. So um, that would be my verdict, I think. I don't know if anybody was complaining if Bard was OP, but I don't think he is. I'm going to throw that out there. And my argument goes along the lines of he's 205 points when you include Alfred and the girls. So, yeah, he's incredible, but he's 205 points. He pays for it. Weren't you the <laughs> one that put Bard on the most overrated heroes list? Um, I don't know, man. That was season one. We're forgetting about <laughs> Actually, I have no idea. The listeners, uh, the listeners don't forget. They demand it. Probably, <laughs> probably did do that. But, like... Okay, I, I don't know. I, I feel like I probably made some good points. Go listen to that again. Go listen to the, that again. That probably made more sense than whatever I'm saying now. <laughs> but yeah, well, then that just plays into what I mean. He's not he's not overpowered if I think he was overrated. Yeah, anyway, for the rating, I think in Survivors of Lake Town, yeah, he's he's like a 10 out of 10. You're like, you, you always take him unless you're doing some kind of like weird yellow alliance and you just want Gandalf and some troops in there. That's the only time I would think you would like not take him in that list. Army of Lake Town is more interesting because you don't need him to like to have a successful list with that because you can ally or you can grab some members of Thorin's company, but he's still good. So I would probably say maybe like a six because he's not doing as, as much for your army, right? And, and then in that list, he probably is a little bit overcosted. Yeah, I'll go with that. Yeah, not much to add here. I think I agree with you guys. Probably a seven in Army of Lake Town and then. Probably nine and a half in Survivors of Lake Town, just because I still see a possibility of maybe allying a warband maybe with Gandalf. And if you're allying with, let's say, Halls of Thranduil, you don't really need the fight value buff. And yeah, like the 12-inch banner effect is nice, but most lists can find a way without it. You just have to take a regular banner. I think he's pretty close to auto-take in Survivors especially after the FAQ where it's hard to just ally an Alfred now to a random list. So I'd probably say a 10 for survivors. 
And then for Army of Lake Town, I want to say it's a five. So he's not terrible, but I just think there are better options. Like Andrew said, he does provide great utility with the shooting and the fight six hero combats. But the daughters do also bring liability because if they die, there's a downside. And then also the fact that he caps out at defense five, he can hit pretty hard and kill a lot of things. But you do have to be careful with them because if you lose a fight, you'll probably be punished for it. It is nice that he can lead, though, in Army of Lake Town. I'll go with a five in Army of Lake Town. Quite literally nothing to add. Everything's been said. Nothing I can really disagree with. I think he's like a nine and a half or a ten in uh, Survivors of Lake Town. I've said this about a few other heroes, and I feel like he's about as close to an auto-take in a particular list as you can get. In Army of Lake Town, yeah, probably like a six. I, I have recent memory of playing against Charles' Army of Lake Town in a recent tournament. He didn't have... Who did you have? Was it was it Nori? Yeah. Good Nori instead. And 67 models at 600 points. So, yeah, I, I don't think Bard is super necessary in that list. But can Nori shoot three times a turn? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Next, we'll go over two lists from Andrew that he brought to share with us today. And I believe one is from Army Lake Town and one is Survivor's Lake Town. Why don't you go with the 600-point list first and just kind of break down what's in the list and go over your general strategy? Yeah, for sure. So uh, 600 points, I've got straight Army of Lake Town. You know, the first three warbands are going to be pretty expected. Master of Lake Town with five regular Lake Town guard. Five with bow, five with spear. Warband two is Alfred with four Lake Town guard with no equipment, four with bow, four with spear. Then Braga with the same breakdown, four, four, four. And then the last warband is Bard the Bowman with horse and armor. Secret and Tilda, four Lake Town guard, five Lake Town guard with bow, and four Lake Town guard with spear. So that totals out to 58 models at uh, 600 points. I've got... Let's see here. Looks like eight might plus Alfred and then plus the uh, free heroic combats, which I think at 600 points is is pretty strong. And I'm just counting it up now. I've got 18 bows plus Bard. So 18 bows plus the great bow. So strategy here is basically to have Alfred. I usually just give the extra might to the master of Lake Town because I think his rule is just so important to this list. Just in case, you know, the listeners don't know what it is, it's basically plus one fight and a banner for all all the Lake Town characters. So it also hits Braga and all of the regular troops. So it wouldn't hit Alfred or Bard. But basically, he starts off with two might, so you can get that up to five. If you roll poorly, you know, you should still get it up to three. And then the strategy is if I have the opportunity to kind of sit back and shoot, I'm going to do that. One thing I didn't mention earlier is if you keep Bard on the horse, you can actually move five inches and still try to shoot, which is pretty good. I've had people try to kind of hide from Bard that have priority behind buildings and stuff, and I'll move five, and they're, you know, sometimes a little surprised by that. And then in this list, you know, Bard isn't really the hero who's going to carry the entire game. This, to me, is kind of like an attrition-based list, so I'm trying to shoot down and chip away at my opponent's force. I think with, you know, like I said, uh, 18 bows plus Bard, you know, I think they're going to have to come to me unless, you know, maybe it's the new Merkwood Ranger Legion or something like that. Chip away at them as they approach me, kind of sit back. And then, you know, this is kind of my favorite part about playing Bard the Bowman is he's great at staying back and shooting and making your enemy come to you. And then, you know, he really kind of punishes you 
he's he's got that hitting power when they do come to you and you're down you know maybe five or so models depending on your army size and then alexander you mentioned you played against this list and charles it sounds like you've played it uh not with bard but you'd be surprised playing with and with and against this list how brutal it is if you don't have higher than fight four because these just crappy little you know six point guys are kind of going to town on your army and, you know, you're rolling so many dice with 58 models that the strength three, I mean, it's not great, but it's not the end of the world because, like I said, you're rolling so many dice. So you're going to have at least three dice to win every fight that you should already be outnumbering your opponent and your fight four, right? So even against like Corsairs, you're tying. Like I said, I play good versus evil. So that's how I'm thinking about these lists. So unless you're playing half trolls, like you should at least be tied or head on fight value. Against an army like Mordor, you know, where it's usually fight three unless they're doing Black Numenorians, I mean, this list is going to rip Mordor apart. So I, I really like it for those reasons. Again, you know, it's going to be more of a sit back and shoot if I have that ability. And then, you know, when the lines clash, I'll have at least hopefully three rounds of combat with that super banner and, and the um, fight four all around, plus some heroic combats from Bard. And then Braga also can get the free might. So I like to call heroic combats with him pretty aggressively. So I'll pair him, you know, just like trap an enemy model since I'm outnumbering them, heroic combat with him, maybe get it for free, and then just send him in different directions to just help out with other combats and maybe get some more traps. So that's kind of the strategy of the list. What do you guys think? Holy might, Batman. <laughs> like, that's so much at 600. You get like, <laughs> what, like eight guaranteed plus extras from... Alfred, plus possible things from Braga. <laughs> it's just silly. <laughs> oh, plus the real combats from Bard. Oh my god. <laughs> so that's like 54 models, it looks like? No, 50, 58. 58. 54 warriors. Yeah. I played this a few weeks ago, and it was at about 67 models, so you're not sacrificing a lot. Because Bard can lead, you're down less than 20 models, and I think this list has a punch. I know I just gave Bard from Army of Laytown a lowish score, but I can see this doing some serious damage. His three shots kind of make up the fact that your numbers went down and you have less Laytown bows. At 600 points, I don't think there's a lot that would be able to deal with Bard, especially with so many models in the way as well. And, and yeah, I think the only weaknesses come with the things that are natural weaknesses for this army. So one is your highest courage on the warrior is courage two. So at the tournament I played in, I had my fingers crossed I wasn't going to play an all-black Minoan army or Return of the King. And so that's kind of going to be a weakness of yours. And also just the master of Lake Town being the leader in this. In certain situations, you don't want an unarmed leader and also a leader that you want to keep alive for money bags. But other than that, I think this is a competitive list. Probably give it a hero valor. So I thought the master had to be the leader, so I just assumed he was. Um, yeah, so I've run it both. I, I've run it kind of as 50-50. The thing I don't like about, I kind of like having a wimpy leader sometimes. I, I know like there's going to be some scenarios that you forfeit, like Contest of Champions. But, I mean, we talked about it earlier. You've got so many weak heroes in this list that I don't feel like if the master is available for assassination or whatever, it's not really going to be any worse than what you have. So I usually run it with him as the leader, but I have tried it with Bard. He seems like he'd be a lot tankier because of the fate, but, I mean, 
he's really not. So I actually usually go with the master so that people, you know, try to get the wounds on him, try to go for him, and Bard can kind of do his thing a little more freely. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't know whether it's the, the crazy high number of troops or being able to throw might around like candy or the free heroic combats, but there's something scary about this list. I can't put my finger on it. I This reminds me the slightest little bit of Charles' list that I played against back mid-November, especially with the potentially free heroic combats from Braga, but like Ian's already said, just kind of pushing a point I made about Survivors of Lake Town in the last segment is just, man, you're going to outnumber just about every army you come across at 600 points, and then to be able to push two or three of your heroes into combat and potentially be getting free heroic combats just left, right, and center to even further put the clamp down on your opponent is mean. I think most armies are going to have a very difficult time dealing with this. I know I would with just about everything. I could bring three evil spellcasters against this list and, and still just get crunched under the big foot from Monty Python. Yeah, solid hero valor for me too. Yeah, this is um this is pretty scary. Like I think I said this before. I don't know if this is necessarily even bad against like the Return of the King where there's all terror but really low numbers, just the sheer amount of numbers and fight four. Like the Return of the King is just their weakness is fight four, right? So it kind of offsets each other. And yeah, like Mordor, you do see black Numenorians, but generally they're kind of sprinkled in, which you can kind of shoot down. I'm just thinking, like, what you can actually take on this list with. Like, maybe, like, a superior shooting with Blinding Light and, like, Elf Bows. Or maybe, like, Con Chariots, maybe. But otherwise, like, I don't know. Like, I don't really want to play this. I'm setting my models down at the tournament, and I'm just going to start packing them up again. It's, yeah, I have to give this a legend. At least you have the courage to start putting the models down in the first place. Mine just never come off the moving tray. <laughs> so I was sitting here, like, trying to think of, like, lists that could counter this. And I think, like, there's the, the point, like, with the courage. But then, like Richard said, like, there's a lot of models there and a lot of models that can get to fight for. So that's not, like, the worst thing. Like, you could still get enough guys in there to counter it. The only thing that I'm thinking of that could be really bad for you is something with, like, blood and glory. So, like, I think Easterlings would actually be a good counter to this, because they have a lot of defense six, and they'll probably have two heroes of blood and glory. And if they could just go in and boop your heroes, because you have so many heroes, you're not going to be able to protect them all, like so many weak heroes, they could cause issues. But I don't know, man. Like, there's just, there's so many models. The other ones coming to mind is going to be, like, a list with Gil Galad and Kirdan, something like that. But still, like, you're just going to outnumber them, like, two to one. It's crazy. I don't know. It's very, very, very solid. I think I'd probably go with, like, uh, a high hero Valor. <sighs> so the one thing I'll say about the, the counters is um, Fight 4 armies still have a decent chance against it, and obviously Strength 4 as well, so like Urukai and Iron Hills. I wouldn't consider this a Fight 4 army, even though they do have Fight 4 for most of the game. And the reason is because you have so many models, they're usually spread out beyond the 12 inches, so even though the master of Lake Town, yes, he does have a 12-inch range of money bags, he's not always going to be in the center because maybe your enemy's main general, his main beat stick is in the center of the board. And you have to keep the master like six inches back of where you would like to be. So I always found that there were combats 
maybe at least a quarter of my combat set, they didn't get the reroll and they didn't get the plus one fight. But I would say that they still stand a decent chance against fight for armies, but I wouldn't really call it a fight for army. Yeah, I think just to address kind of some of the, the points that you guys brought up, I think actually, I think it was Ian who said it, Easterlings is actually kind of a tough matchup for this army. I've played against them because you've got like Amder who Bard can't really take down reliably. He's actually, you know, not favored at all against him. They've got fight four with the Black Dragons and, you know, the high defense. So so my strategy against them is a little bit more challenging. I would say also like a Corsair's army is not really a matchup that I want. And And to Charles's point as well, I think armies that have consistent fight four and high defense are really tough. So like, like I said, Easterlings or even like a tin can Isengard, because I only have, you know, best case scenario, five turns, but you don't always get that. And you don't always get everybody in the bubble to get fight four. And then I'm just tying them. And if I can't kill them with my strength three on D6, you don't want to be fighting for multiple rounds because they have fight four permanently and you just have it as a temporary buff. So I'd say that's really the weakness of this army. I actually don't think terror is as much of a problem. Just because 18 bows plus bards, you know, great bow for up to three per turn is a great counter to terror. Like Army of the Dead, even though they're high defense, I mean, with that many shots per turn, they're going to start taking wounds. I can also target Aragorn, you know, who's only D5, so bards wounding on fives if he gets some shots in. And they don't have any protection against that. So I'm not as worried about terror just because of my model count and the amount of shooting that I have. I actually think, you know, Charles kind of uh, and Ian addressed the big issues here, which is fight for high defense, Easterlings, Isengard, stuff like that. And and also just a reminder, this list is in the context of good versus evil, because that's what I play. So some of those lists, you know, on the good side, like elves and stuff, I know I'm not facing that. So it's really what evil side forces are going to pose a problem for this list. So I just want to let the listeners know that Easterlings can be good, and we aren't sponsored by Games Workshop to market the new supplement. Thanks. <laughs> okay, let's go over your second list with Barton's the Survivor's Lake Town. So this one is at 650 points. Uh, this is a green alliance between the Iron Hills and Survivors of Lake Town. So I know you guys talk a lot about Survivors of Lake Town and Thranduil's Halls as an alliance, and I think it's very strong. But I actually think Iron Hills gets kind of overlooked. You guys bring up a lot, you know, the fact that you have different movement, five versus six. And I wanted to kind of show you guys this list that I actually won, you know, one of our local events with to show you why I, I think it can actually work and what my thought process was here. So starting off, we've got Survivors of Lake Town. We've got 32 models from this list. So I've got Bard the Bowman with horse and armor, Alfred the Counselor, because uh, I'm taking Survivors this time, Sigrid and Tilda. Seven Lake Town Militia with Shield, and then eight with Spear. Then a second Warband, which is Percy, with nine Lake Town Militia with Bow, two with Shield, one with Spear. So again, that's 32 guys. Uh, and then a Green Alliance of Dane Ironfoot, Lord of the Iron Hills, on his boar, with five Iron Hills Dwarf Warriors with Shield and Spear, and one Iron Hill Dwarf Warrior with Crossbow and Spear. So I've got 39 models at 650. So again, th this is what happens when you ally this army, right? I mean, it's not the same exact army, but we were at 58 models at 600. And now, you know, I'm at 39 models at 650. But my rationale here is, you know, you've dropped on the bows a bit, right? So I've got, I think it's nine bows, 
plus one crossbow from the dwarves. And then Percy, who makes all of your archers better, so archers within range of him uh, get to reroll once to hit. So your uh, ratio is going to go up to 56% instead of 50, so slight buff there. And he's got, you know, 3-1-1 heroic stats. And then you have Bard. So you've got, you know, 10 regular shots, one crossbow shot, and then Bard at the strength four. And then why did I ally in Iron Hills here? So the courage issue that you guys mentioned before can sometimes come up. So the fact that I have seven fearless troops in my list is one big reason. I also get to add fight four that I know can charge kind of black Numenorians and stuff like that, Army of the Dead, if I am facing it, even though that's not, you know, the way that we usually play. And then the one issue that I have with kind of the Army of Lake Town list is like the Amder example I just brought up, right? Like I have absolutely nothing to deal with him effectively. I can hope that I get lucky with shooting. I can burn some might on shooting with that Army of Lake Town list. But if you come up against a really big hero, that's kind of the general weakness of survivors and army of Lake Town. If there's a Sauron, if there's a Gilgalad on the other side, like you might be able to do something, but you're definitely not going to be favored in that matchup mm -hmm. in my experience. So here I've gone down in models, 39 for 650, at least where we play is still a really solid model count. You've got the banner effect. We have 32 total troops in the survivors of Lake Town list. They're all getting banners. You've got, you know, a little bit of shooting with Percy buffing your guys. And then Dane is just like, you know, on the scale of one to 10, he's just like an easy 10 for me on the forces of good in terms of like, I throw this guy in everywhere. And for some reason, he doesn't seem to get as much play. I think people like him, but I am so high on this guy. He gives your guys fearless. He's strength five burly. He really solves a lot of the problems that you have with not having that killing power. And he also has Master of Battle, right? So he comes with the heroic march that you lose from dropping Braga if you need it, right? That's not what I'm hoping to use it for, but if you need it, he's got it. And, you know, I've really had a lot of success tag teaming Bard and Dane with like hitting one unsuspecting low tier hero or troop, free heroic combat, call the heroic strike with Dane, see what I get, and then go into their big hero if I beat them on fight value or just, you know, kill some other troops if it doesn't work out. So you can mitigate some of the risk with going into a Gilgalad uh, and not knowing if you're going to get above that nine. And then you have the free might from the heroic combats plus the potential free might on the four up master of battle. So you have a little bit of might regeneration plus Alfred giving it to Bard this time. So this list, frankly, you know, kind of decimated all the competition that came against it because of the strong shooting. And then you've got to just you know, take these two, at 650 at least, these two really beefy heroes to the face. And not a lot of people are going to be able to do that after, a, you know, two or three rounds of shooting. And my fun story with this list is I one shot the uh, Blackgate Opens Troll Chieftain with that exact tactic of uh, Dane Heroic Strike on a random troop, barred Heroic Combat with him, got up to fight, you know, nine or ten went in and just burned a bunch of might because Bard's got six, right, and put enough wounds on him to take him out. So that's the list. I think the starting might is nine, plus what you get from Alfred, plus the heroic combats and master battle. Total number of bows is 10, plus one crossbow and the great boat from Bard. So what do you guys think of this one? Uh, just a quick question before we go into it. Is Bard or Dane the leader? Yeah, so I have Dane as the leader in this one. Okay. Just for the, the extra defense... I always like to split up my buffs. So like, you know, if they're going after Dane, I still get the banner reroll from Bard. 
And if they go after Bard, I still have my leader and they're not getting those points there. Plus, you know, D8, three fate is, is pretty strong there. So yeah, he's my leader. As for this list, I really like it. I like how you went with mostly survivors because I've seen it the other way around too. I've seen like a mostly Iron Hills or mostly Thrandall's Hall. I think I like this way just so you, you have more models that benefit from Bard's buff. I'm not sure how I feel about Dane being your model with the Heroic March. If I was to write the list, I probably would have taken a Lake Town Militia Captain instead of Percy. Because for one, it would give you the Heroic March. And the second one is you get a Defense 6 hero rather than a Defense 4. I think I think he went down to Defense 4 this edition. The 3 might is nice though, but I think Militia Captain would have a slight edge for me over Percy. But other than that, I like everything else about this list, and I agree with what you described to be like your strategy. I still have this similar sentiment that we did on previous episodes. I would prefer not to have an army with two movement values, but Iron Hills being only five models are movement five. It's not a big issue, and considering you won a tournament with it, it's probably not a big issue for you either. Yeah, I would give this a, a Hero of Legend. Yeah, I I think I agree with um, Charles on the uh, the exchange of Percy for the captain. That also allows you to take in another Lake Town to bump your numbers up to 40, which increases your break point as well. Yeah, this is a this is kind of an odd alliance, but I think yeah, you did it the right way because I feel like even if it was a more 50-50 split, I think it would be a lot easier to just target your Lake Town. But I'm looking at your numbers and. <laughs> And that's that's a solid amount for 600. So 650. Oh, it's 650. The numbers are still good. I think the only thing is I'm wondering if it would be worth it to drop a few models to add a banner because we we kind of discussed earlier about what points level. I feel like we're right on the edge here because especially because you're making Dane your leader and I know you have a lot of might, but you know he doesn't benefit from Bard's reroll. And I feel like if they get separated or, you know, he gets charged, you know, you're relying on three dice. And maybe he just would be more effective with a banner in that warband. So I'm not 100% sure on that. And yeah, you did great with this list. It is also very scary. I can see the same theme with the might compared to the first list. Yeah, Hero of Legend for me too. I'm not going to risk sounding like a broken record and saying the same things I have in the last two segments and just repeating what these guys have said. The only thing I will say is I feel like it's kind of a coin toss on the banner. For me, I'm like Charles was right earlier when he said Ian and I are the type to put a banner in just about every list, especially for those VP situations. But at the same time, with the benefit that you get out of the extra models adding to your breakpoint, getting more models that benefit from Bard's army buffs. Really, I just think that's really up to play style and what your preference is. I guess the only issue is if you do come up in a scenario like uh, To the Death or something where there's a bonus for uh, Banner, you have to figure out how to either make it up or find a way to get rid of your opponent's Banner because you start from behind. But aside from that, yeah, it's really scary. All the same things that have already been said. And for me, it's it's probably a hero of legend. Yeah, I quite like this list at, at, uh, at 650, honestly. <sighs> the only thing I can think of, if you wanted to change it, yeah, like you could drop one model, I think, and then 
make one of the Iron Hills guys into a, a goat rider just so you have a bit more maneuverability or like a random troop you can try and run around to objectives. But that's that's not a big thing. As for the Lake Town Captain debate, whatever your preference is between Percy or Lake Town Captain, I don't think it makes a big difference. You're getting the march in there with Dane if you need it anyway. So because you have it, I, I don't think it makes a huge difference. You have tons of renewable might anyway, so it's not like it's not like Dane using one point of might for a march is gonna neuter him that much. For the banner thing, I think this is the kind of thing, like the kind of list, and at these this points level where you don't need it yet, because you're getting a lot of value out of Bard's banner effect, and that's like a big thing that makes the list work. So I think you're fine without it. You have, like, two big heroes you can use to try and assassinate enemy banners to deny those VPs, so that's fine. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a hero of legend, too, honestly. I also was starting to think we should play some more 650 locally, because there's, there's some very interesting lists that I don't think work very well at other points values, but somehow spring up here. All right, well, I'm, I'm pretty pumped about that. Thank you guys for the for the praise. And yeah, what I love about kind of the points levels that we play is pretty much every army that you want to build, you can't build it. Like, you just can't do it. There's going to be something missing from it. And I found that, you know, at 750, 800, if you want to build a balanced list with basically any army in the game, you can do it. And I kind of like that you have to make some sacrifices. So this is kind of, you know, going to lead into the Green Alliance discussion. But heroes that have Strike and March are just like top tier for me because we play lower points, right? Like, sure, you have a Lake Town Militia Captain that's super cheap that you can throw in. But if you're playing Thranduil's Halls, right? what is a you know palace guard captain's what like 80 points 90 points i mean like i don't want to pay that much just for heroic march so having heroes like dane heroes like suladan like gothmog like any hero that has strike and march for me just shoots way up in value at lower points levels because it allows you to be more flexible with the list so i totally agree with you charles that you know i don't want to be calling march with dane but would i rather have dane and bard and not really have to you know make that sacrifice at a third hero I can get splashy with Percy and get one extra point of might, a little bit more shooting. Like it's harder to make those trade-offs. So those heroes you'll find are like always in my lists. All right. Thank you for bringing your lists to share with us today. Um, Next we'll be moving on to our open topic. Today we'll be talking about historical alliances. open topic we'll be discussing our favorite historical alliances and see if we agree on what the best historical alliances in the game are so historical alliances or also known as green alliances are certain alliances on the matrix where when these armies ally they get to keep their army bonus and with the recent faq update um, they are able to ally with a minimum hero fortitude from each army list for yellow and red, it's moved up to a Valor, but for green, it's still a Hero of Fortitude. And looking at the Alliance Matrix, seems like the vast majority of historical alliances are the good side, but there are a few really nice evil ones as well. So we'll kind of go over some of the ones we like the most, and then maybe we'll just talk about which ones are the most competitive options. Yeah, so we'll do a mix of good and evil, but just to start, I guess... 
want to bring up one thing is that for you guys, when you do historical alliances, how much does the army bonus factor in for you? Because I, I looked through all the green alliances and not a lot of them have army bonuses that synergize. Is the reason that you would take an army bonus simply just to get a particular utility or hero in the list? Or are there situations where um, it's beneficial that you get both of the army bonuses? Yeah, I'll start here. I, I think for the most part, when I'm utilizing green alliances, the army bonus is not really the main reason that I'm doing it. I would say the main reason is plugging holes that my army can't plug on its own and bringing something to a list that my list doesn't have access to without sacrificing something. So in other words, maybe my army bonus is very helpful and I need you know, some extra bodies I'll ally in, you know, Lake Town Militia Captain plus 12 guys, but, you know, I'm not getting bards, extra stand fast or anything like that. But now my three handles halls list rather than being elite, I've got, you know, maybe a more sizable uh, contingent in that army. And then same thing for other green allies that I can think of, like Easterlings and Cond, right? Like Easterlings struggle to kill things, Cond struggles to survive and kills things really well. I think those are armies that really complement each other and you know, do I care that cons, you know, horsemen don't apply to the bow limit? Like, no. Do I care that Easterlings can, you know, re-roll to end the game? Not really, right? So I'd say there's certain cases where the army bonus is so good that you don't want to lose it. So like ones that come to mind uh, would be like Corsairs and Serpent Horde. Like you don't want to lose Backstabbers if you don't have to. I'd say that's one of the, you know, best army bonuses in the game, in my opinion. So I would rather ally with the Serpent Horde and keep that army bonus versus, you know, maybe a Mordor, even if I think the troop selection might be better, because, wow, I really don't want to lose that army bonus. So I would say for the most part, it's plugging holes and looking at the troops and heroes that can complement each other. But there are times where it's, you know, hey, you know, Corsairs without Backstabbers are still good, but that's a big drop off and I don't really want to lose it. That's kind of how I think about it. I think the other one uh, that... The other green alliance I can think of where you benefit from the army bonus is maybe Azog's Legion and Hunters, because in Legion, you'll have no shooting. And by allying Hunters, you have range threat, and it also gives you um, some cavalry options. With the army bonus, your archers are actually pretty good because you, you, you get the 50% bow limit, I think. So you actually can take a decent amount with just one or two warbands, and it's good that you, you get to keep the army bonus. But I, I agree with you most of the time. It's not about the army bonuses. It's uh, it's about adding utility or filling a hole that an army is missing. I guess I'll give a different take as the resident convenient alliance player. The times that I do decide to play the historical alliances, I think I do look at the army bonus. I usually put some sort of points value arbitrarily on it and see if that amount is worth taking. Because if we're talking about plugging holes, especially on the good side, then if you do a convenient alliance, you have a lot more options and you can customize your build a lot more. So I think, you know, like to me, when I do the Hobbit good side alliances, which I think is really strong, you can kind of mix and match between the three lists. But I really do value the army bonuses there. And I think we've talked about it in the past. I think the Hobbit list especially are really hinged on their main heroes and the army bonuses are kind of attached to that. Yeah, it brings up kind of a good point of like, if you're not looking at the army bonuses, why do you care if it's a green alliance, right? And I think 
what I maybe didn't represent in my, you know, what I just said is I think kind of what you're saying, Richard, which is if I have an army where the army bonus is vital, then I'm going to look to plug holes with troops. And I don't really care what the other army bonus is. That's kind of more what I meant, but I don't want to lose mine. So if I'm playing, you know, Thranduil's Halls, like I definitely don't want to drop that army bonus. That's like one of the best in the game. So even if, you know, maybe a Rivendell could add something, bad example, but you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, could add something that my list needs. I would try to force the issue with the green allies that I have because I need Thranduil buffing his troops, doing all that stuff. So that's more so what I meant. And and then if I can keep an army bonus that's important, then I'm going to look to plug holes. And yeah, I don't care that I'm sacrificing, you know, oh, I don't have Dane, but I'm allying in some dwarves for some reason. Like, I don't mind losing that part of the army bonus. Just to add on to like the, the green alliance kind of thing is that even if you're not using the army bonus, it kind of opens up your list a lot because you can just grab troops from that other list with a hero of fortitude. So you don't need to spend those really big points for like a hero of valor, which often happens, at least in good side lists. And I know in evil side lists, it's hard, too, because they don't have a lot of heroes of valor either. So just having green alliances is nice because you go, oh, I can grab this little hero that I really like and some supporting troops. I guess the one that comes to mind for me is just like uh, in like Rivendell and Lothlorien. Like if Rivendell just wants to grab like a mid-tier hero with three points of might, Lothlorien has a couple of those, whereas Rivendell has none. Yeah, that's a great point. So in the introduction, Andrew, you mentioned that your favorites are the Hobbit, Battle of the Five Armies, Alliance between the Men, Elves, and the Dwarves. And also uh, for Evil, it's Umbar and Serpent Horde and Far Harad. Could you just kind of just maybe expand a little bit on why they're your favorites? And being a competitive player, I assume that you also think that they're also really competitive green alliances? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, Let's start with the Hobbit side, because that's been, you know, what we've talked most about. So I can be a little shorter on that one. If you can get like that list we just talked about, right? They have some of the best army bonuses in the game, right? So if you can get two of those top tier heroes into a list and get both army bonuses active where like, you know, your opponents are going to have maybe one big hero at those points levels, right? Like you're at such a huge advantage, right? Like if I can take Thranduil and Bard and a Lake Town Captain at 650, like, I don't really care what I'm going against, right? My mediocre Lake Town guys are going to be causing terror, going to be able to knock down my opponents. I'm going to get free heroic combats. So I'm going to have banners on everybody. Like, that's insane if you can start stacking those. And that's why it's one of my favorite armies, because I like the lists where, you know, in The Hobbit, it tends to be, like, focused on the hero. I enjoy those. I think it's like thematic and fun. And the fact that they're competitive just makes me more drawn to kind of those forces for all the reasons we talked about already. On the evil side, you know, for some of the reasons I alluded to earlier, like heroes with strike and march are just crucial for me at the lower points levels that we play at. So like, let's use Corsairs as an example, right? Again, my base army is Serpent Horde. So it's either pure Serpent Horde or I'm allying in just Suladan to all these other lists. And the reason for that is if you want to take a real banner for Corsairs, you've got to take a Black Numenorian, which, you know, having the minus one, they don't have spears, right? So you just got to kind of stand there and, and cause terror. And it's it's a lot of points for that. You have the Bosun that gives the banner effect to Corsairs. Like, there's no real viable banners in that list, right? So to take Suladan to get one extra point of might over a captain that would be calling March in the Corsair list or two extra points of might over the Bosun. 
plus heroic strike. Plus now you've got cavalry that Corsairs don't have. Like this is what I'm talking about with filling holes, right? They don't have a good banner option. They don't have any cavalry. You've got fight for cavs, so now you can keep that fight for horde going. You can bring that 50% archers with poison bows to go along with the arbalesters. I think it's super competitive, and it allows you to play those evil lists a lot better, in my opinion. Suladan's not the best leader, so I'd actually have Dalamir be the leader. So that's how Serpent Horde benefits in that Green Alliance, in my opinion. You've got a more slippery general who's a little bit harder to kill. And now I don't like having the general in the banner on the same model if I can avoid it. So I like that as well. And then Farharad's probably an even better example. Like your heroes top out at two might. So getting the extra point of might is a big deal. You know, other than putting a banner on a, you know, Mahood warrior, like it's not great. You know what I mean? Like banners on regular guys are not anywhere near as worth it as a Boromir, the White Tower, you know, Suladan, like those big heroes that have a six inches on their banner range, which, you know, basically quadruples the effectiveness and the extra point of might. Like it's just a no brainer for me. And they complement each other very well, right? And then on the Mordor side, just to wrap up, you can do your Moran and Orcs in the front. They have high defense, which Serpent Horde lacks. You can put either Serpent Guard behind for Fight 4, which, you know, is a little bit harder to get in Mordor and cheaper than the Black Numenorians, Or you get some Archers, which Mordor doesn't really have. So those are the ones I really like to play. And it's so much fun as a competitive player to mix and match and see like, okay, which of these lists is the best Suladon list? Like, wh- where does he benefit them the most? And how can I alter my play style? Like, you know, Farharad with Suladan kind of smashes these Lake Town armies that I'm talking about, right? Because Camels impact hits on defense four. It, I've mowed down entire lines of Lake Town with 10 Camels in a Serpent Horde Farharad alliance. So I'm always trying to kind of counterplay against my own armies as well to see what I'd be afraid to go against. So those are kind of my two favorite pockets. There's other good ones, but those are the ones I'm most experienced with. All right. Richard, do you want to go with your picks? Sure. Even though Andrew took all the good ones. <laughs> okay. So maybe not as top tier competitive, but I do like some of the green alliances on the good side. I have played quite a few Numenor and Rivendell. So that one is quite themey. I think they match really well because... Elves lack killing power, as we know, with all strength three. And Numenor provides that. And then if you mix and match the lines, you get, you know, fight five, defense six. Me usually putting the Rivendell elves on the front lines. Yeah, it's just a really, really crazy strong combo that you can mix together. And and I mean, their heroes are all pretty incredible value. So you can't really go wrong. You know, I think Elendil is probably my go-to for Numenor. And then Rivendell, you have a few more choices where you can have Kyrdan as a support. You throw in another beat stick, you know, whether it's Elrond, Gilglad, or Glorfindel even. Yeah, so so there's still some customization there. I think if we go with Rivendell again, Ian mentioned Lothlorien, but personally I like thinking of it like Boromir is the alliance. So you throw in Boromir with either Rivendell or Lothlorien. Boromir of Gondor, that is... That is just like a really strong combo because I find that Rivendell and Lothlorien struggle to get that like mid-tier level hero with sufficient might. Like, I guess Lothlorien, there's a few more in like Haldir and Rumil, but I would still say they're a bit on the lower end, not around the 100 points mark. And for Lothlorien, they struggle to get mounted heroes in general. 
so I think Formir gives the march lots of might, a mounted threat. And then both Rivendell and Lothorian give blinding light to kind of protect Boromir a little bit more. So I think that is usually the more competitive combination rather than just going like a pure Rivendell or a pure Lothlorien. So I think, well, Richard kind of said one of the things I want to say is all of the good ones are kind of taken. So <laughs> I'm also going to talk on one that maybe isn't as popular or as competitive, but I think it actually, like they complement each other really well. And that is the Lothlorien and uh, Rohan Alliance. I think more so what Rohan brings into Lothlorien. I guess to, to start off with, well, the, the Rohan heroes, there's a huge selection of them that have March and three points of might, which, as you touched on, it's hard to get that might into Lothlorien. It's also hard to get March in there unless you're spending, you know, 80, 90 points on a captain. So they give extra mobility and extra might. That's pretty cheap. Also, cheaper troops to buff up your numbers. The other thing that's nice is you can combine um, the hitting power of some of like the Rohan heroes, the mounted Rohan heroes, like uh, Aemir or Theodred with Galadriel. So you know we did the you know the trick we've talked about before, where you compel an enemy hero out and then you slam your big hero into them and munch them up in a turn. Additionally, also hero related, Galadriel can renew fate on the Rohan heroes, so that just kind of keeps their horses alive longer in combat. And again, also kind of like the uh, the Numenor thing, Rohan infantry, just the the humble uh, humble Rohan infantry can come with axes, and they're only seven points, so you can get strength four in there, and they're cheap, and you don't really mind if they die. So it's the classic thing where you put the cheap troops uh, up front, and you let the elves support behind. And if you're worried about courage, you can throw in Caliborn, and he can throw up an aura of command, and there you don't have to worry about courage. Just some quick thoughts on that. I think I wrote up a list, something along the lines of Galadriel, Celeborn, Theodred, and Grimbold or something like that at 800 points. And it's it's got a lot of cheeky tricks in it. I mean, I, I quite like it. I'm, I'm looking forward to giving that a try. Uh, what do you guys think? Well, I like how you say that this is not a competitive option, but whenever you take this alliance of Rohan and Lothlorien, I always hear you yelling at your opponent, Foot Rohan OP! So... I don't know what to say. <laughs> That's pure foot Rohan. <laughs> I just want to mention that the patent for that is still pending. I don't think Ian's got that legally down packed yet as like a as like a legal catchphrase, but he's pretty close. We're trying to lock it in for him on this podcast. I guess with that alliance, I'm just curious that if it's kind of I guess a little bit outdated now that we have the defenders of Helm's Deep Legendary Legion come out which is pretty similar, and you get some extra rules with that, given that there's more restrictions as well. But I guess my question to you guys is, do you find that the, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole, but with the, you know, increased prevalence of legendary legions, does it kind of take out your needs to take a green alliance? I think, like what you just mentioned, Defenders of Helm's Deep, that is probably the best way to play Lothorian and Rohan together, but it's limited enough where playing Rohan and Lothorian together in a green lines is still really different. Because like there's totally different heroes, uh, you get mounted models, and the most importantly, outside of the Legion, Rohan warriors um, can't spear support. So your battle line, it's going to function completely different from Defenders of Helm's Deep. I think it's still varied enough. But I do agree with you about the Legendary Legions where there are there are some overlap because of the Legendary Legion. Like, 
I'm trying. I, I can't think of an yeah, example not, right now. I, I think I got one because the one that you know me and John and Evan always talk about is kind of like the Dead of Dunharrow, right? Like now that the Return of the King is out, like why would you ever take the Dead of Dunharrow on its own? Sure, you could take them with Minas Tirith and take them with you know Aragorn Elisar, but that's one example where I feel like when was the last time you guys saw the Dead of Dunharrow, right? I mean, it just you don't see it anymore. That one is completely obsolete. But I actually think, like, though I agree with you, Charles, that the Defenders of Helm's Deep is probably the best way to do it. I like Green Alliances like this, right? Where it's like, yeah, you can play that and it's really good and it's this specific play style and you get some cool rules. But, you know, if you want to take Galadriel and Aemir, like, you can do that, you know? And, and I think that's cool and you can have kind of a different play style there. And, you know, I've played against my friend Evan when he was using this list uh, as Green Allies. And this was one of those ones that, like, really outperformed what I was expecting. He had, I think, Haldir, Aemir, and and maybe a captain. And just the balance of the elf shooting, plus kind of having the cab, the Riders of Rohan, it did pretty well. So I'm definitely a fan of that one. Another example that is the path of the Druidan Legion. There's almost no reason to do a Rohan and Druidan alliance. Unless you want to just take like 60 Druidan at like high points and then just have a few Rohan heroes. But I think the Legion is probably the way to play that Green Alliance. I guess I'll go with my pick. So so for good side, my pick is the Palinor Triple Alliance. So the Fiefdoms, Minas Tirith, and Rohan. Especially between Minas Tirith and Fiefdoms. They're one of the lists where you have like a synergy between two factions based on a keyword. So because both of the lists have the Gondor keyword, there are two profiles that I can think of in particular. One is Hurin. With his rule, he can, he can select another Gondor keyword hero that he essentially protects and um, helps deny VPs. And when you mix those two armies together, he is able to protect Imrahil, which I think is really good as he's really good in combat and it allows you to be maybe a little bit more reckless with him. The other one is if you take Boromir Captain of the White Tower, his banner, the fight value buff, affects fiefdoms warriors. And being so cheap in points, it allows you to have just really easy access to fight five. I mean, you get that with the Minas Tirith fight four warriors as well. But if you're mixing the lists together, it's just nice to have it kind of everywhere. And then I guess if you wanted to ally in Rohan with those two alliances, it gives you the cheap heroic march. So that, you know, if you're taking mostly fiefdoms, it's a little bit hard to get the march. So a Rohan will give you March and also just cheaper cavalry because we all know how pricey the Swan Knights can be. And Minas Tirith lacks good cavalry that's not Fight 3 because I think, although we all like Knights of Minas Tirith, they do have their limitations with the Fight 3. So Rohan is able to provide Fight 4 and potentially Fight 5 with Aiden. For Evil, I think my favorite is already mentioned and one of Andrew's picks, the Far Haradin Serpent Horde. I guess I just wanted to add one thing to that, and that is it's so nice having Suladan giving a banner reroll to a half-troll battle line, because you get two and then one with the spear support. So you're already rolling three dice, and then you get a reroll on top of that. It's just really, really nice. And, and also camels, they die really quickly because of their fight three, so helping with their survivability with that six-inch banner is great. My favorite for evil is probably the, the Hobbit Triple Alliance of Azog's Legion, Azog's Hunters, and Dark Powers of Dol Guldur. Even though I don't see a ton of synergies because they share some of the same warriors, especially Dark Powers of Dol Guldur, I think it's nice that you're able to ally in from Dark Powers a Ringwraith that has the Resurrection. 
they provide a lot of utility, especially the lingering shadow and just the mechanic of being able to be resurrected. I think is a nice addition um, of like a medium-sized hero in the list. Thimble's also a good one from Hunters. I think the main plus though for this triple alliance is the ability to ally in goblin mercenaries. And I think they're one of the best evil utility that you can ally in. And since the Hero Valor FAQ, it's been really difficult to do that because the captains are heroes of fortitude. And how the ambush works for the mercenaries, it just allows you to auto win certain scenarios in a tournament pack, especially like Reconnoiter or something like that, where you have to move off the board. They could just appear next to the board edge, potentially, and there's nothing your opponent can do about it. Just ally in a few mercenaries to any of these armies, these three that are green with each other. It's just really excellent because you can't really do that with any other evil army without allying a bold or something really expensive. So I, I think that one might be a little bit overlooked sometimes, but I think it's the main reason you take this alliance is to get the goblin mercenaries. So my only caveat, I do think the goblin mercenaries are amazing, but just a quick edit is in the designer's note, you can't deploy them using the ambush in recon. You have to bring them on on your side of the board. Either um, way, there are other scenarios where I think maybe it's not like an auto win, but it makes you heavily favored when you have mercenaries, when you have models that can appear on the other side of the board. For example, like maybe destroy the supplies. Breakthrough. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love this uh, triple alliance. I'll be honest, I haven't really used the dark powers much in it. But just Hunters and Legion, uh, I was running a list for a while that was all of the kind of captain level heroes. So like Yasneg with a ton of Hunter Orcs and a couple of Felwargs, Fimble, and I think Narzug is the other guy's name, plus like one or two warbands of Goblin Mercenaries and just going for like insane numbers. So like my Kurt sucks and, you know, I don't have any beat stick heroes, but... I was surprised at how well it did with all the two attack models. So you wind up with this crazy horde with tons of attacks and then the shenanigans from the mercenaries. So yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan of that list. I think Charles is right. I mean, well, about, about the mercenaries, but, but not just that, just the fact that because like, as you guys said, all three of these lists have, have such big overlap with like their basic troops. And then it's just kind of like the few niche troops that each list kind of brings to the table. It's almost like it is one big list by itself, right? And you just, you know, you take a warband from this one so you can get a couple of those niche troops. And then you get a warband of, I don't know, Azog's leading it. And now he gets his Master of Battle, you know, because he's taking it from the, he's coming from the Azog's Legion list, right? As opposed to the Hunters. It's just really flexible and you just kind of get whatever you want is the big thing rather than, than any kind of filling gaps or anything. Yeah, and then Dark Powers has access to Mirkwood Spiders, too, so you could get a little bit of Paralyzed in there, too, if you wanted to. Okay, so I guess we've gone over some of our favorites. Which ones do we think are the most competitive, the strongest in the game? I think definitely one of them has to be one that involves Rivendell or Lothlorien, because really, I think if you can fill in the hole in the Elven list that is like the Heroic March and Hitting Power, because I think those are just the main weaknesses for the elves. And I think if you could fill in those two holes, you've got like a tournament winning list. Maybe one of the ones has got to be Rivendell Numenor or Rivendell Fellowship. Would you guys agree with that? I mean, Rivendell Fellowship, Richard has gone over it. And it's literally like, why don't we take Boromir and put him over here? And that's pretty much the entire synergy of the list is like, I need might and combat potential. And Boromir is like, 
uh, hold this. I'm going to go fight 25 things at once and take an objective and probably kill their leader all at the same time. If you're going to talk about Rivendell and Fellowship, I just gave you the summary. We can move on now. Also, I, mean, I just want to mention that Charles was like, let's move on. And I was like, I haven't haven't said anything. Do you have uh, another so, list you want to bring up? Well, I mean, I was going to be like, okay, well, with the last selection, because by the time I came up with an idea of what I was going to do, all the ideas that I had thought of had all been taken. And I was like, I, I guess I don't have anything. But I was thinking Andrew was going to bring up Haradrim Mordor at some point. Same reasons. Suladan, six-inch banner, great support hero goes behind, you know, umpteen orcs and potentially other combat heroes to, to help them out. Uh, the shooting, because mortar shooting is non-existent, and being able to have things that you can have up to half of your warband have bows and they hit on fours. But because I thought that was taken, what I originally came up with, and albeit reminder, I was trying not to overlap anybody. So I came up with this random idea of Mordor and Easterlings, just because something I find Mordor maybe doesn't lack, but isn't their strong suit, are mounted combat heroes. And they do have Gothmog, and he's all right, but I often find that in a Mordor army, if he's in there, there's a decent chance he's going to be my leader, like an army of Gothmog legion. But in this scenario, I take something like the Witch King and the Mouth of Sauron, both for spellcasting ability. They can both fight to certain extents. And then Amder and a Dragon Knight, both mounted so that I have four mounted heroes. Those two both have Heroic Strike as well and can fight three attacks base. So I get a lot of that hero hitting power. And then just like a mishmash of a ton of orcs with half a dozen Moran orcs in there for strength four, small handful four to six uh, black dragons for fight four, and then just half and half. So I don't really need uh, a shaman of any kind because I wouldn't really benefit from it. But I have still somewhere in the range of like 48 bodies total, two spellcasters, three strikes, two big combat heroes. And just kind of because they're all mounted, that would be kind of like my list that just kind of pushes pace and just gets in there with 40 guys and is like fight all four of my heroes at once. The end. Back to the current topic. I think you bring up a good point with the extra mounted heroes. As I remember in our Amder episode, we talked about how great he would be to ally into other lists, and uh, I think Mordor can be one of them because, yeah, like like you said, all the Mordor mounted heroes are fight five. So you know he has Elven Blade, and yeah, he's great. He'd be a great addition. Are there any other honorable mentions you guys think? I agree with what Andrew said earlier. I think Serpent Horde and Umbar is probably one of the best. I mean, 2019, um, Rainier did really amazing as several tournaments, uh, Nova and I think Articon, with this alliance. That should be uh, one of the best green alliances. It's probably the best evil one. I think you'd struggle to find a, another one that's better than that. As for good, I, I would say that the Battle of Five Armies alliance on the good side, that's that's deadly. You can always make such strong lists no matter how you combo those, as we saw today. So that, that, that's got to be up there as well. Same goes for Pelinor, but probably to a lesser degree. It's the Hobbit version of putting Boromir in lists. It's like, but have you tried Dwalin or Thorin? Have you just put them in there yet? Or like Andrew did today that we all said was at first was like can be a bit of a risky move, but he put out like a really good balance there and just was like, here's what's his name? Dane. 
and like eight Iron Hills dwarves. And you're just like, well, n- no one looks at Dane and is like, this will be easy. No, never have I done that. I don't think those words ever come out of anyone's mouth in that order exactly. It hasn't been mentioned as much, but I think Alex brought up a good one, which is uh, Airborne Reclaimed with the Battle of Five Armies. So, like, it's not in the Triple Alliance technically, but if you want, like, a slightly cheaper hitter, uh, Thorin and Dwalin, and I've seen them both in one of these alliances, so you ha- end up having three beat sticks instead of two. I think that's a pretty good combination as well. Yeah, I think Thorin on Goat, which I have converted up, is, like, probably my favorite one drop on the Hobbit side. So I don't usually take a lot of Iron Hills doors with him, but I've run like Thranduil with a warband of elves, 12 guys with a Lake Town militia captain just to get some extra bodies, like pretty much spears on all of them to support the elves. And then, you know, just Thorin and, you know, a banner in there somewhere. And you've got the killing power with the elves with the plus one. You've got fight five spear supports with the Lake Town guys, right? And then you've got this repeatable source of might which is something I find, you know, Thranduil kind of struggles with. He's got the three might, you know, there isn't really a specific way you want to be using it. So having him, I'm a huge fan of the tag team heroic combat. So having Thorin come in, heroic combat with Thranduil, you know, send him one way, send Thorin the other way, just really multiplies your damage. So yeah, I, I think I would say that's the most competitive, even though I love the ones I mentioned on the Lord of the Rings evil side. I think the fact that all your guys are such low defense is a real risk. So I do think it is very competitive, but I wouldn't consider it as strong as, you know, Battle of Five Armies, for example, because you've got the resilience, the resiliency that you need, plus the hitting power, right? Like, obviously, the Umbar Harad alliance goes way over the top on damage potential. But, you know, Suladan, you're going to get victory points if he's your leader every game. Like, he's just impossible to protect because he's so, so weak. So, you know, when you're talking about really high-level competitive play, I think you want to have a little bit more high defense if you can, just to kind of avoid some of the variance. So that's my two cents on that. Richard, do you agree with the picks so far? No, I like Misty Mountains and Radagast Alliance the best. (laughs) They complement each other's weaknesses, right? Like they fill the holes that the other one lacks. (laughs) Makes a bigger hole. (laughs) You can have some strength six eagles, and then you have strength seven eagles. (laughs) Woo! We heard you like eagles, so we got you eagles for your eagles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. I had a joke. I lost it, but it, that's great. That's <laughs> that's just great. I've been like, I've been like, well, you know, this army really makes up for the other armies. Move twelve by adding more move twelve and fly. <laughs> I don't know. You take Gohir and some eagles, and I'm like, that's automatically just a scary combination. And then you claim that one of them's from Radagast Alliance just to make it seem like you're playing an alliance, but it's all just eagles. <laughs> it's like the Wizard of Oz. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. There you go. You ended with a joke. There's nothing else to add. I guess I'll wrap it up. I guess uh, before we go, Andrew, if you wouldn't mind sharing, give a plug out to The Hobbyist Tale. I know your guys' podcast is a little bit different than ours. So maybe you can let the listeners know like what you guys focus on or what they can find on your guys' podcast. Yeah, thanks, Richard. So yeah, there and back again, A Hobbyist Tale on all the major platforms was started by my buddies, John and Evan. I joined them kind of a little bit of the ways through. We tend to kind of focus, at least in our more recent episodes, about kind of like why you would want to start an army. 
you know, there's tons of podcasts out there that are covering, you know, the really intense competitive side, kind of like we just did here, what, you know, some other guys are doing. So our focus was more around kind of the average gamer. Like, you know, if you're trying to decide between two or three new armies, we've done deep dives of like, what elf army should I play? So should I pick Rivendell? Should I pick Lothlorien, Thranduil's Halls, if I can only pick one? And we usually each pick an army to kind of advocate for in that episode. So it's definitely not as competitive. Um, We talk a little bit more about, we do hobby updates on what we've been working on. Uh, We do trivia on Lord of the Rings stuff. And and then the focus is really on kind of what we feel to be the average hobbyist slash gamer, you know, what might be helpful for them or somebody on the newer end, just kind of trying to get their feet wet, who is maybe overwhelmed by all of the kind of competitive talk just getting started. So yeah, uh, I've, I've mentioned this before, but uh, we've taken a little bit of a break as uh, you know life has taken us in in some different directions. We do hope to get back together at some point, and we're still gaming you know regularly together. But yeah, definitely check us out and you know reach out anytime with lists or questions or anything that we can help with. Cool. Well, Andrew, thanks for coming on as guest today. It's it's been great talking about Bard and alliances. Thanks for having me, guys. It was a blast. Yeah. And to our listeners, you can find all of Andrew's lists today on Facebook. Just type in Into the West podcast and you should be able to find the link to our Facebook page. Thank you all for listening and look forward to the next episode of Into the West.